Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Fuji Love Podcast, where we talk about all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, and there's so much more. I'm your host, Mark Sadowski, and this week we have a really great episode lined up for you. We have YouTube sensation Thomas Heaton to talk about his recent convert over to the Fujifilm X-T3, and we have a great time chatting with him about his, uh, his newfound love for the Fuji gear as well as so much more. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Fujilove Magazine. Check out the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm at fujilove.com. And one of the things you could check out this week is the brand new Fujifilm X100V, or the fifth edition of the X100 series. This is a much-anticipated camera, and you can read all about it on fujilove.com. Now, before we get into our interview for this week, it's important to let you know that there were a lot of technical issues involved with the the call between Thomas and I. Now, I don't know what exactly was causing the issue, but I know that it was happening on my side. It was a Comcast issue that was... Something was going, on, going wrong, and... I didn't know during the time of the interview, but I found out it was on my side when I got a text message from Comcast saying that the interference with my internet connection was resolved and that everything was a-okay. And it didn't even dawn on me that it was happening uh, on the Comcast side, but that's the internet for you. Anyway, enjoy the show. So without further ado, I want to introduce Thomas Heaton onto the show. Thomas, it's great having you on. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. Hey, no problem. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, very, very excited to be here. We should tell the audience that we are having some technical difficulties just in case there's some stuttering at my end and uh, asking you to repeat questions. <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. I already took care of that in the introduction and it's totally fine. Hopefully my editing skills are going to be sufficient where it's not even noticeable, but uh, knock on wood. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good to know that the magic of editing. See, I don't know that you've already recorded your intro after yeah, it's very clever all of this podcasting stuff yeah it, it's news to me too because uh that that's going to be uh future me's job and uh i hope future me remembers to do it <laughs> if not this is going to be an awkward podcast <laughs> but we've already prefaced with it being uh awkward so everybody's in for the ride <laughs> all right fantastic right on so thomas you are first of all a fantastic uh landscape photographer and more importantly, I think you are just an incredible storyteller. You have uh, personally inspired me to kind of get into doing more video production because in addition to just your fantastic work, your videos on YouTube, I think, are really inspiring to people to, and you've showed people another avenue and how to make a living with photography. How did you, before we get into your use with the, the Fuji system, how, how did you get inspired to start doing your own videos? Well, firstly, thank you very much for your kind words, although I'm not sure I agree with all of them. I would say I'm a 
an average landscape photographer who just happened to share my passion on YouTube, which takes us nicely onto the next question. Um, so yeah, how did I get started? I remember, man, gosh, now it was about 2014, maybe something. I can't even remember quite a few years ago. And I remember, uh, laying in bed and I had a sunrise shoot planned for the next morning. Um, and you know what it's like, sunrise shoots are not easy at the best of times. You usually have to wake up possibly three, four, five in the morning. And I don't know about you, but whenever I have an early morning the next day, uh, I have trouble sleeping. I think it's a psychological thing. You start counting down the hours until you have to be awake. Yes. Uh, so I was laying in bed and I was watching mountain biking videos of all things because um, I enjoy going out on my bike and I watched the inspirational mountain bike videos, the ones that show me stuff that I know I'll never be able to achieve, sort of triple backflips in the forest, nice cinematic drone footage, that kind of thing. But what that does is it inspires me the next day to get on my bike and go for a ride. So it's a similar thing with photography. I was laying in bed and, I'm, you know, it's got to be midnight by now and I'm wide awake and I'm thinking, gosh, I'm not going to get up in the morning and go and shoot unless I get to sleep. So I was kind of already starting to cancel the morning. You know, I'm thinking, oh, forget it. The weather's probably going to be rubbish. I'll probably not get an image anyway. I may as well just go to sleep and turn off my alarm clock. And yeah. I thought, oh, maybe if I can, you know, by this point, I'm feeling quite demotivated. So I thought maybe if I just go to YouTube and like, just like with mountain bike videos, maybe I'll find a cool inspirational uh, photography video that will re-motivate me to set my alarm for four in the morning. And I browsed and browsed and browsed. And, you know, I didn't find any on that first initial search for landscape photography on YouTube. Um, there were a couple, there were a couple of guys doing it, but I didn't find them on the evening. And instead what I found was quite a lot of, Ooh, how do I say this sort of misleading videos that looked like they were sort of showing you photography, but really they're just selling you a product. Yeah. So it was like an advert wrapped up as something else. And, um, I was a bit disappointed and I thought, you know, I, I think maybe I, maybe this doesn't exist. Maybe I should go out and make a video and that gave me the motivation to wake up early and uh drive you know many miles to uh the lake district and, and get out and uh i had my all i had was my iphone and i thought yeah i'm gonna do i'm gonna try this so uh i quite literally had my iphone uh sellotaped to a stick because i never <laughs> had a selfie stick adapter yeah and um so i'm walking around and i'm just trying it and it went really well and i remember specifically remember um the, uh, the the view count of the first video because usually when I post an image to Flickr actually it's, it's quite sad I don't use Flickr anymore but I suppose that's a whole discussion for another day but I used to <laughs> I used to be uh, quite prevalent on Flickr I used to really enjoy it um, and you know a, a good day for me would see my images maybe getting between fifty maybe a hundred views on a good day um, but most of that was friends and family and I remember uploading my first video. And I think in the first few days, it got somewhere in the region of 500 to 1,000 views. And that just blew my mind because I realized after uploading that video that that was 500 to 1,000 people who'd not only seen my image, but had seen the story behind the image. Yes. And that's incredibly important with photography. So I was like, you know, if I upload an image to Flickr, Maybe it gets 30 views, 40 views. Like like I said before, on a very good day, it may get 100 over a period of time. Um, but what I did was in this video, I linked 
the image to Flickr. And not only did the video get 500 to 1,000 views, the image on Flickr got like 300 views. Nice. And I just thought, wow, why is nobody doing this? And, well, the rest is history. <laughs> well, so I, I agree with you. Uh, this, what inspires me to keep watching your, your photos, uh, your, your videos, rather, and, and your photos, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that you, a regular guy, you're not coming off as like a type A personality. You know, you're not telling everybody to, you know, smash that like and subscribe button, you know, bell notification and all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. I have thought about it. (laughs) No, God, no. (laughs) But you are a guy that is likable, relatable, and I I could have a beer with you. But you're making content that is inspiring. Um, And again, I, I find that your photography is great your sub uh subject matter and stuff like that i i like to play the game of would i take that photo the same way i, I try to guess how the composition is going to be and then you know kind of measure it with what you show at the very end uh, it, it, it's a fun game i'm never I, i'm never seeing the same subject as you are in, in your videos and it's always fun to see you you always take a better shot than I do in my head, even in my head. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I I wouldn't agree with that. You know, it's uh, yeah. Sometimes I look back at my own videos and think, well, maybe I should have gone a bit wider or you know waited a bit longer until the light was better. I don't know. But yeah, that's the great thing with photography, right? It's always different. I've been on shoots with friends uh, just recently. Actually, I've just come back from a long trip down the coast of USA with three friends of mine. And we're shooting 20 feet apart and we're all getting completely different images. Uh, I'm there with a long lens on and my good friend is there with his wide angle. Um, I'm like, why have you got that on? And he's like, well, why have you got that on? And it's just, yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute because you've essentially formed the Avengers of photography, I think. Um. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're now a live band. That's what we are. We're we're the the Beatles of photography. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. But yeah, we'll, we'll see if the photography community is ready to, uh, <laughs> to to take us. I don't know. But fast forward to today, uh, we're we're gonna skip a little, uh, skip ahead a little bit. Uh, now you've gone, you you've just recently gone to Nepal, had an amazing adventure there. Uh, <laughs> I was legit worried during your videos. Uh, the the way you you went through, uh, well, I'll let you describe it. it Nepal uh, was uh, quite the adventure, physically as well as mentally. Yeah, Nepal was fantastic. Nepal is one of those trips that, um, uh, when I arranged it and booked it, I was uh, kind of looking through the spectacles of, you know, just looking at the highlights of what it was going to be, and as the trip got closer and closer and became more and more of a reality. Then I started to get a bit nervous and a bit anxious and started to think, oh dear, what have I done? And Nepal is one of those trips, and usually it it doesn't work like this, but Nepal was one of those trips where as it got closer, I didn't want to go uh, because I'd sort of, uh, I don't know, I'd built it up in my mind to be something quite 
terrifying because i'm not very good at traveling yeah uh, i don't like traveling i don't like flying i don't like airports i don't deal with jet lag very well which is why i'm sat here in my dressing gown having woke up at midday <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah uh, i just i'm not very good with travel and uh, nepal was you know nepal was somewhere that i i've never been anywhere like it you know it was going to be a whole new experience but what i did know and what i was aware of at the time is that the more nervous you are and the more outside of your comfort zone then god this sounds i'm not one of those people who likes to give life coaching or anything but in this instance um the the further outside of your comfort zone you are then the more you are the more you grow and the stronger you become after the fact which i I hate myself for saying that because it's so cheesy but it's true um so the only other time i felt like this was going to namibia Uh, but going to nepal i was really nervous and what I learned from my trip to Nepal was that um, even when the worst does happen, which it did with me, which I'll get into in a second, uh, it's nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. And it yeah. was fine. And, you know, if you can deal with that and you can take on a trip like Nepal and handle it and not only handle it, but have a great time, uh, it makes you appreciate everything that you have when you're back at home. And um yeah, it, it, like I say, going outside of your comfort zone definitely helps you grow as a person. So what happened during your trip, even though I've already watched the videos? But for, oh, for yeah, those that... yeah, you got, got to send your audience to go watch the videos. <laughs> so, so my biggest concern was altitude sickness because yes. I live on the seafront. So if I look out of my window now, I can see the sea. So I live at sea level. <laughs> uh, and I've never been to altitude. I think the highest I've ever been was 2,900 meters, which is what, like 9,000 feet or something? Yeah. Um, and that was kind of that was a high point on a day so you go up and then you come back down so i'd never really slept at any kind of altitude and this trip was going to take us all the way up to sort of 5600 meters which is i don't know 15 16 17000 feet something like that um and i was worried about altitude sickness and uh, of course lo and behold i got altitude sickness uh, and it although as bad as it was um it never got that bad because i was very much aware of it um so what happened is i was at a place called gokyo which is 4800 meters and i just didn't feel well you know the usual headache fatigue um sort of feeling feeling a bit like you've got the flu yeah Um, the idea is that okay that's perfectly normal and it's fine it's mild altitude sickness and pretty much everyone experiences that at some point or another And then you have a rest day and then you feel better and then you continue up. Um, I had a rest day, but I didn't feel better. Um, I got a little bit worse. So it was advised to me by a doctor who was actually in the same hut that we were staying in. She was volunteering um, around the villages in Nepal. And she said, you've got mild altitude sickness. It's fine. Nothing to worry about. But if you continue up, uh, that mild altitude sickness or moderate altitude sickness could turn into severe altitude yeah. sickness. And now it's that that's worrying because what happens is you get a buildup of fluid on your lungs and on your brain. Um, and then it's a helicopter rescue job and, you know, several days or a week in hospital and it can be fatal. Uh, it's very, very easy to avoid that. You just go down. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, so that day, unfortunately, we had the highest point of our entire trek. So we're climbing over a mountain pass. And at any other point on the trek, I could have done it. 
But on that one day, because I was suffering, uh, I couldn't do it except it could have possibly pushed me to severe altitude sickness. So I took the decision to leave the group and just walk down to the next village, which was about a thousand meters lower in altitude. So my group continued over the mountain. I went around the mountain and it took me three days to get around the mountain and then I would meet back up with them. And what's funny is, uh, is altitude sickness is one of those things where it's an instant fix. So I'm, I'm leaving the hut feeling terrible. And as I descend about a hundred meters uh, in, in less altitude, I start to feel good again. And I'm, I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm going lower and lower and lower and I'm feeling great. And I think, oh God, I've made, I've made the wrong decision. I, I, I feel fine. I could have, I could have pushed on and gone over the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> of course that, yeah, that's not the case. The reason I felt good is because I was dropping in altitude. So imagine being really thirsty, being dehydrated and you've got a big bottle of water and you drink that water. And as you're drinking the water, you feel that relief and that, oh, you know, you feel good. That's the same thing. Instead of drinking a bottle of water, it's walking downhill. So by the time I dropped a thousand meters to the next village, which took about six hours, I was on top of the world, full of energy. Um, and then I was cured. That was it. I was spent a couple of days at lower altitude and then I went back up uh, to a high point of about 4,600 meters and full of energy, fully uh, acclimatized. It was just unfortunate that the day I got sick was the day we were supposed to climb over the high pass. Yeah. Uh, but you still got great photos it was still your your videos were still really compelling the the way you even while you were sick you were you were taking amazing shots you were getting great footage uh to to be able to do that while your head is in that fog is just a real testament to how well you had it together and, and how well your instinct was for for the photography yeah I mean, I well, thank you very much <laughs> it, yeah i think i think i only took one photograph when i was at my lowest point and i actually quite liked the photograph it was nice um but it, it was you know it's, it's not difficult when you're in the mountains and you have nice lights and there's nice snow and frost on everything you know sometimes uh sometimes photography just presents itself there in front of you and it's actually quite difficult to make a bad image so yeah. that's probably why <laughs> so prior to your trip to nepal uh you made the switch to the fuji xt3 now in your video career from what we've all seen uh, you've been pretty steadfast uh, a canon guy uh why why make the switch to Fujifilm uh, at this point? Uh, well, I needed a system that would shoot both video, uh, good photography, and be fairly compact and lightweight. Yeah. Um, and Canon doesn't offer that at the minute because uh, Canon pretty much cannibalize all of their cameras. So they give with one hand and take with the other. So yeah. <laughs> with Canon, I would, I would have to have two systems. Uh, one for photography and probably one for video. And even then, that because Canon's full-frame system, is the lenses are so big and heavy. So, yeah, I would have liked to stay with Canon, but they just don't have anything on the market that would really be... It's weight more than anything, to be honest. Uh, Canon don't have anything on the market that's lightweight enough, compact, um, and that will do video and photography. I mean, they will. I could, could have bought the EOS R, but then you throw on the lenses... And it's the same weight as the 5D Mark IV. So um, for my hiking and 
kind of long distance travel stuff i bought the fuji so i still shoot with canon and and we'll use the canon when just going on shorter trips uh but the fuji is great because i do a lot of long distance hiking i did a long distance a few long distance hikes uh last summer actually and i wish i had the fuji for those <laughs> and what i was what i found was actually i was so impressed with the image quality i mean the video my gosh don't even tell the video is fantastic yes um of course it doesn't have the flippy screen um, and it doesn't have the dual pixel autofocus those are my t- two main frustrations with the video however um for a lot of low light stuff um and the slow motion stuff and everything you know it's a fantastic video camera but the beauty is i can then just flick a switch and i have a stills camera and the image quality from the stills uh is fantastic um, especially once i use the iridium transformer plugin on lightroom which gives me a much cleaner raw file to work with uh yeah it's it's great and actually the raw file they're comparable to the 5d mark IV. um i don't see any shift in quality really if i'm being completely honest although i haven't yet done a side-by-side comparison right and, and everybody should check out thomas's video on that uh you did a great video on comparing the the raw performances on the different uh software and the results were pretty negligible. You, you couldn't see a difference in the print quality. No, that's the, that's the funny thing. See, I have a 5K monitor and then another 4K monitor. So I've got two monitors. And uh, when you're looking at an image, this is, I think, new photographers, uh, people who are just getting into it should be aware of this and not get hung up on gear too much because I look at the Fuji RAW file straight out of Lightroom on my 5K monitor and it doesn't look good. It's it, it's hard to describe, but it looks a bit grainy and a bit crunchy and it looks over-processed before you've even started processing it. Uh, so it just kind of looks a bit gritty. Um, but then there are certain things you can do. You can use different software like Capture One, which is fantastic, or you can download a plugin which converts the raw file into a DNG and gives you a much cleaner file. And you can really see the difference when you're looking at a 5K monitor, and especially when you're at one-to-one and you're going in and you're editing your image. And you definitely want that experience to be as good of an experience as possible. Um, However, I took it further than that. I tested four different ways of processing the raw file and then I made four different prints and I also sent the four different images to my phone. And the reason I did this is I wanted to see, okay, when I'm at one-to-one on a 4K or a 5K monitor, of course I'm going to see the difference, but what about the average user? Uh, So I I was most surprised actually by the difference in quality in print and uh, there wasn't any. (laughs) I I mixed up the print. I wrote down on the back of each print which software I'd use to edit the image. And, um, yeah, I could, really couldn't see a difference. Only when I looked through a magnifying glass could I just about see a difference. Yeah. Um, and I also sent them to my phone because most people consume images now on a mobile phone. And, yeah, no difference. Identical. Um, so I thought it was a really important lesson is that, okay, so don't stress if you can't afford to update your software or whatever. Um, because the end user is probably not going to see a difference. Right on. And so bringing it back to the videos, uh, let's turn back the clock uh, a bit. Early, when I first heard of you, uh, I think it was, uh, I I found your videos 
and Ben Horn at the same time. Uh, yeah, it was relaxing, simple storytelling, uh, showcasing photography. How has that world changed for for you? And how does it feel being kind of like a a pioneer in just paving a new way for photographers to to make a living? <laughs> well, uh, I would say Ben Horn is the pioneer. He's been around since two. I'm going to say 2009, but it could be 2011. I can't remember. But he's been around for a long time. And Ben Horn is one of the guys that I discovered very early on yeah um, him and nick carver and they both have similar styles actually uh, they're both fantastic um, and they're the two guys whereby when they upload a new video um, i always watch it no matter what the topic so those guys are fantastic and they were around a long time before me um but those two they both shoot film um so they're quite you know they're, they're very uh, they cater to a quite small niche um, yeah, which perhaps explains why I saw more rapid growth than those, um, because their their content. I mean, both of them, you cannot get better quality content than those two guys. If you want to see work ethic and you know video quality, but also uh, the quality of information that they deliver is second to none. And you don't even need to be a film shooter to absorb it. You know, it's it's all photography related. The medium isn't yes. really relevant in a lot of their in-the-field videos. Uh, the, their quality is superb, um, second to none. But I think what happened with me, um, I think I just got on at the right time. Um, and I think there was, a, I think YouTube had a spurt of growth in around about 2013, 2014. Yep. Uh, I, I didn't know this. I just think I got lucky and jumped on. And YouTube obviously shared my video. People watch it. And the funny thing with YouTube is the great thing with YouTube actually is you genuinely need to make good content to be successful because it's not, you know, success isn't based on number of views. It's based on number of minutes watched. So you can clickbait all you like on a video, but if somebody clicks on it, watches one minute and then clicks off that's damaging for your channel so you need good content that viewers stick around and watch all of so if you have a video and somebody watches all of it then youtube shares that video out to more and more people and the more people that watch it the more it shares so yeah i, th I think i just got lucky and i don't think there was many people doing it like ben horn was doing it nick carver was doing it um and ben doesn't do advertising on his if, if I no recall. and that's that's a shame <laughs> in a way it, well it's not a shame at all uh ben doesn't do advertising and because of that youtube will never share his videos yes so he'll never grow to that extent but that's okay because he's doing it his own way and I fully respect that. And he's, he's got amazing integrity. And instead of having a broad audience, he has um, a small audience, but they're all true fans. Yes. Every single, every single one of them. Whereas me, I, I, I have true fans, but I also have a lot of people who perhaps see one video on a specific topic. And they go, oh, yeah, I'll subscribe. And then they never come back. Um, and I suppose that's uh, that's the difference with the algorithm and how that works. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Ben Ben supports very uh, is very much um, yeah is is reliant on donations and print sales and and loyalty. 
and I think that's fantastic. And it was so um, exciting yeah, to I think, see. I think if he, uh, it was so exciting. Oh, sorry, I, I just lost you there. Oh no problem. It was so exciting to to watch one of your videos when you were recording here in the states, and you were making some. You you were making a joke about you know being able to you know needing a guide or something like that, and then having him just pass in the background, just give a almost a wink to the camera. I was so excited to see that. I'm like, oh my god, oh, yeah. I know that guy. <laughs> the, the Ben Horn cameo. Yeah, I remember that. He's a great guy. We uh, we've met up a couple of times, and yeah, he, he's such. Oh, he's just. I wish I had his um, craft. I suppose you can call it. You know, sometimes I feel I feel like uh, digital photography can sometimes be too easy, too automated. Uh, whereas when he breaks out his eight by ten and works a scene, it's it's something really special. Oh yeah, and, we should and, no, note to the audience that he's not just a film guy; he's large format film, which yeah, right, has like exactly. this massive camera. <laughs> he does, and uh, and he's very disciplined. You know, he he will see a scene that he wants to shoot, and he will wait. He'll wait a day, two days, three days until the, the, the conditions are right to take that image. And I, I respect that so much. And it's funny, I find there's two different types of photography or two different types of landscape photography. There is the type where, you, where you're proactive and you seek out a composition and you pre-visualize it and you wait for the right time to shoot the image. And then there's reactive, where you're reacting to what's happening around you. And because of the way that Ben shoots large format film, uh, it, it's not suited to reactive photography. So he has immense patience. Um, and I really, really respect that. And I'd like to think that I have that patience as well. But at the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, OK, well, I can't wait, you know, two days for this image because I have to, you know, I've got to feed the machine and keep uh, keep pumping out content. Yeah. So, yeah, we live in different worlds. But, um, yeah, I, I respect him like more than any other photographer really is fantastic. And when you did your first collaboration with, uh, uh, Gavin Hardcastle, Adam Gibbs and Nick page, uh, you all went to, uh, where was it in Canada? Bam. Oh yeah. Just somewhere <laughs> in the Rockies. I forget Lake Louise, I think is where we stayed. And that was fantastic. We all met, uh, at a conference actually, um, a, couple of months prior to that um oh i met gavin actually at a conference and he we hit it off he's a really good guy and um he's really funny as well and that comes across in his videos and he said um he sent me a message just before christmas i think saying um why don't you you should come out to lake louise we're going to do a winter trip and i kind of said no you know i can't i can't uh, obviously can't do that at such short notice and then i planned a week-long trip in scotland just after Christmas, I think January, early January, and the weather was just awful. Like it was forecast for like two weeks to be wind and rain and misery in Scotland, yeah. which is pretty common place actually. But the problem is, I'd had wind and rain and misery for the previous month, so I, was, I just I was feeling really down actually because uh, you know the problem with YouTube and the problem with what I do is you constantly have to churn out material but not only material it has to be good material because you're only as good as your last video so um 
I I was on the uh, WhatsApp with Gavin and he said, yeah, dude, come on, why don't you just come to Canada? And I thought, you know what? Why don't I just go to Canada? I can go to Canada. So I looked at my wife lovingly and said, uh, do you mind if I just go away for a few days? And she was like, yeah, no problem. And I went, <laughs> to Canada. And then she lovingly <laughs> said, yes, yes, you can go to Canada. Because I think she knew I was feeling a bit down. Yeah. Uh, so so I literally booked a flight for the next day or like two days after I, I, rem- I specifically remember it being less than 48 hours because it was really expensive so i booked a flight uh jumped on an airplane landed in calgary drove to lake louise and there they all were nick page gavin hardcastle adam gibbs and another chap called brent who is a great photographer uh, specializes in panorama and uh, strawberry deck he has another life here he, uh, he's, I think, he's a personal trainer. Anyway, we, uh, yeah, we had like the best week ever. You know, just going out, shooting images, making videos, having a laugh, and it was such a good time that we had the discussion about we should like get together more often. And but it's difficult because we all live in different parts of the world. So we said, oh, maybe we should like form like a like a group, and then we can just get together on like a, a special occasion once a year or something make this an annual thing yeah and that's kind of what we've done and i don't know if it's been done before um in the way that we're doing it and uh, i can explain more about that i don't know how much time we have but uh, we have a little bit more time uh but i, I mean the four of you together are hilarious <laughs> it is I mean, yeah, you, you you should see what we've been up to for the past four weeks. If you want to see hilarious, my God, we've gotten into some scrapes. Uh, so we met up again in January, uh, just gone. Uh, in fact, I've only been back in the UK for a couple of days. And we decided that we were going to work on a big project, like really yeah. ambitious project. And uh, the problem with four YouTubers getting together is we, you all end up shooting content for your own channel. So it ends up being diluted and it's difficult to collaborate fully no way one. because I, I i have to disagree with you there because this is where you really get to see um through the various channels uh the you're in the same place but you're getting a different perspective uh for example when you were in uh uh in in the rockies uh, you guys were all taking amazing photos but they were so vastly different and seeing a different point of view is is awesome because it, it shows that you don't have to be like the next guy. Uh, you don't have to be like Thomas Heaton. You just need to, and I think this shows the, the value of your videos is that just go out and shoot. Just go out and do what you think is best. You can learn bits and pieces, but ultimately you don't have to look uh, like the next guy. And, and I think having these collaborations really demonstrate that you can be yourself uh, and have a great time doing it, especially with Gavin Hardcastle skits. <laughs> well, well, that's, you're exactly right. And that there is great value in that. Um, and that's essentially what we've done, but on another level, because we wanted to create a, a single project rather than um, lots of short videos because we wanted to tell the bigger story. You mentioned the beginning about storytelling and how important that is. And it's incredibly important in this. So we decided uh, that we're going to, we bought a, a 1979 trailer in beige <laughs> brown, which was just lovely. Absolute wreck. It leaked. It was falling apart. It weighed 
two and a half tons and to tow it with vehicle only gave us about four to nine miles per gallon so oh my god yeah we were going to drag this thing two and a half thousand miles down america <laughs> uh, we all live in it we all lived in it um but we decided to hire a cameraman and have a cameraman document the entire road trip but not only did we have a cameraman document the entire road trip with the four of us we were going to make a landscape photography course but it wasn't going to be a course in the sense that you know we're at location and this is how you take an image this course is it's education in the field, but it's also a hell of a lot of entertainment. Um, I don't really know how to describe it because it's never really been done before. Imagine like an episode of Top Gear, like a Top Gear special, but they show you how to fix the vehicles when they break down. It's that kind of thing. Uh, so that's what we've been working on for, for four weeks. And what is good about that is because it's the four of us, just like you said before, you have four completely and i mean completely different outcomes from each leg of the journey um and then you throw into the mix ridiculous things happening um it comes what, what you know what you're left with is quite an entertaining uh, package and educational of course all i gotta say to that is this shut up and take my money because i am willing <laughs> i don't care how much it costs i'm in <laughs> Uh, we don't even know yet, uh, but we we create we started creating characters, you know, and storylines. So uh, it's not it's it's sort of half documentary, half kind of written skits. So we've got this elusive character called the guy, and you know, none of us think that we can afford this road trip. We think it's a waste of money. But Nick is ever the optimist, and he keeps saying how he's got a guy. And, and this guy's <laughs> going to pay for it, and this guy's going to fund it. And this guy comes more and more into the story um, throughout the course of the trip. And we go from Olympic National Park in Washington all the way to Las Vegas. And Las Vegas is the end point. And that's where we're going to win our millions and fund the whole project. And then in the end, we meet this guy. And it's just ridiculous. Like, yeah, no spoilers. We, I, I we definitely... Got, uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but there is an actual... Uh, progression of story with hilarious skits you know we nearly got kicked out of campsites we i don't even want to think about well no i'm not gonna, i'm not gonna mention anything bad <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it was it was all for for the entertaining or entertainment of the uh, of the people who are going to get to see it so yeah i'm so excited but that is going to be months and months away out you know we, we have probably have about 20 hours of content to edit so big job I've already seen that Nick and Adam have already put out some videos. Um, I haven't seen them yet because I, I, I'm kind of letting it build up before uh, sitting down and watching them. But it, it's it's just so much fun to to watch it. I mean, my wife, who is not a, a photographer, enjoys watching your videos because it's relaxing. I, I think for her, uh, and of course for myself, we we love the fact that you go on a journey. It doesn't have to be far. Uh, in fact, some of my favorite videos are you just going to to the Lake Districts, which is very close to you. And it's kind of reminiscent for, for me because I live just north of Boston. But for our equivalent, we have the White Mountains up in New Hampshire, which is about 90, 100 miles away. Um, but it, it's kind of the same thing. That's where all the, the scenery is at. So just showing the value of something so close to you and being able to get great photos out of it, I think is just amazing. 
Yeah, for sure. What I, what I don't want to do, the trap that I'm trying not to fall into is um, I don't just want to go to exotic locations. Um, it's fun. I love, you know, uh, I love seeing new places. Hate to travel, but love love it when I'm there. Um, yes. But I think it's it's really important to um, to show people that, you know, you can make great images just in your local park or, you know, not too far from your house. And it goes the same goes for gear as well. You know, I think it's good. Uh, it's good practice for me anyway to shoot with attainable gear. You know, I'm, I'm I've been I'm not going to lie. I have been looking closely at the GFX 100, but I mean, I, I don't. I think it would be overkill for my channel. I think I'm definitely more of an XT3 kind of guy. Yeah, and that shows people that you know you can take an XT3 um, or even an XT2. And you can go and you can just go be close to home and you can go and shoot in a small grove of trees. And if the conditions are right and you apply certain techniques to your photography, you can come away with great images and anyone can do it. I, I always say that I'm no better than any other photographer. Uh, it's all about being in the right place at the right time. Yes. And if, if somebody was stood next to me with a camera and tripod, they would have the exact same image, more or less. It depends how they see it. But I suppose what I'm trying to get across when I say that is there's no real like technical skill here. I am literally focusing and making sure I'm exposing exposed correctly, shoot the image, a quick process in Lightroom, uh, and that's it. And anyone could do that. So it's very attainable. Yes. I got to ask you this. Um, now that you're using the, the Fuji system, how are you – I know you shoot raw. Uh, you process your raw photos. But how have you liked the uh, JPEGs so far? Well, uh, I'll be honest. <laughs> the only reason <laughs> I shoot uh, JPEG and RAW is because that's the only way I get an aspect ratio uh, change inside of the camera. Yeah. So I haven't checked out the JPEGs. Um, I know they're good because you can apply the color profiles or the film simulations. Um, and that's probably something I should experiment with. But, ah, oh, man, I don't know. I think I'm very much stuck in my ways of I feel I, feel I need to process the image um uh, i could probably shoot jpegs and get great results um and be like fantastic but i don't know for me um just finishing off the image making a few additional decisions in lightroom is uh it, it completes the whole process yeah so i haven't uh i haven't looked at the jpegs um but that's not to say i won't um it's just something i haven't done yet if anything what i would probably do is look at the jpeg if i'm happy with it and i don't know this actually makes no sense i'm not, not sure why why i would do this but if I, I would look at the jpeg and try and recreate that recreate the raw file to look like the jpeg i don't know why i would do that but that's something i would do see I'm... video suggestion <laughs> wink yeah maybe <laughs> maybe jpeg versus raw that could be a good idea yeah we'll see right on well tom it was great having you on the show. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on talking uh, about uh, the, the craft, the the process. Uh, it was so much fun having you on the show. Um, is there anything that you want to promote before we, we go? Oh, dear me. Um, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything. It's the wrong time of year. You should have asked me this in September. No, I am. I tell you what, I am writing a book and I've been writing it for a about two years not because it's an epic or a masterpiece just because i really struggle to focus uh, but i have been writing it and i am i am almost finished so i hope when's this podcast going out this is probably going out on the 11th 
Oh, I won't be ready by then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe if some of your listeners are listening to this in March or April, then yeah, I may well have a landscape photography book to promote. And that is going to be a series of images. And next to each image is going to be a chapter, almost a, a, a paragraph or two, which really tells the story behind the image and the stuff you don't necessarily see in the videos because, you know, my frustrations don't always come across too well on the videos, but I can write them down. So yeah, a bit more insight uh, into each image. So that's, that. I suppose that's the next big thing I have coming up. Very cool. Uh, we'll definitely have, you know, send me the details and I'll definitely mention it in, in the, uh, in, in the show for future episodes, but definitely check out Thomas Heaton on YouTube. A simple search for his name will get you his awesome channel. Uh, what, what is your, instagram feed for people to check that out as well oh you see i'm very i'm one of these very unprofessional short-sighted photographers who uh, <laughs> made sure that all of my social media links are completely different so um my instagram is heaton thomas whereas my youtube is thomas heaton <laughs> i don't even know what my twitter is uh, they're all different uh, it's terrible it's one thing i should fix but nah. but yeah. yes it's at heaton thomas they still find you. The The end result is the same. So, That's true, yes. Thomas, it's been great having you on the show, and uh, we'll have to have you back on sometime uh, soon. Yeah, I'd love to. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. And, uh, yeah, just hit me up again maybe in, uh, whenever whenever you need a, a gap filling. And definitely <laughs> sure when I'll have more to talk about then. Definitely when you have the F4 project uh, completed. Uh, with the, oh, yeah. When the Avengers are fully assembled, we'll get you guys back on. Yeah, for sure. That would be great. All right. Oh, yeah, because Adam shoots with Fuji as well. So, yeah, get Adam on. I he's tried. A, he turned me down. He turned you down? He turned me down. Oh, You'll have to no. have a chat with him. He's a busy guy. Yes. Yeah. Um, I uh, reached out to him. I also got in touch. Uh, I tried to get in touch with uh, Ben Horn because he literally puts the f uh, film in Fujifilm. Um, yeah, he does. Yeah, he shoots. Uh, he shoots us a lot with uh, Velvia, which is Fuji. Yes, uh, and really? I definitely want to pick his brain about that. Put it in a good word. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try my best. Uh, I can't make any promises. No worries, man. It was great having you on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, fantastic. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you one more time to Thomas Heaton for taking the time out in his busy schedule to sit down and talk to us. I had a great time chatting with him. And again, I could have gone on so much longer. It, it was that much fun talking to him. Now, in addition to his YouTube channel, you should also sign up for the newsletter that they have dedicated to this particular road trip. So if you go to f4roadtrip.com, you'll be able to stay up to date with the latest and greatest and possibly get a release date sometime in the near future. Uh, that is the letter F, the number four, roadtrip.com. Go ahead and check it out and check out Thomas Heaton's YouTube channel. One other note I wanted to mention from this interview is that I did, in fact, manage to get in touch with Ben Horn, and he is a tremendous, and I, t I, I use that word a lot, but I mean, he is just an amazing large format photographer. Go ahead and check out his YouTube channel at benhorn.com. We are setting up a time to chat. He is interested. 
which is super awesome. I absolutely can't wait to pick his brain about his film photography process and what it's like to just be shooting on such a large format system. Uh, I, I can't wait. And that's going to come sometime in the future. Stay tuned. If you would like to reach out to the show, we would love to hear from you. Go ahead and send us a message at fujilovefeedback at gmail.com. The other place where you can send us a message, and I've gotten a lot of feedback already, is through uh, Instagram. Uh, a few of the listeners have reached out to me. You could find me on Instagram at Mark Sadowski. That's Mark with a C. Shoot me a message, like a photo, just say hi. It's all good. I'd love to hear from you. And one more time, head on over to fujilove.com. This is the magazine that keeps this podcast loud, live, and free. And I am very grateful to it. Uh, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. Get the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series, GFX, and so much more. And right now, you can get the latest and greatest about the Fujifilm X100V. You get to see the reviews, the, the overall specs, and see if it's right for you. Go ahead and check it out fujilove.com. That's all for this week. We'll see you next time.